Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. As you know, I often have allies on the show, male allies who are in this to help us in our fight for equity in the workplace. Today's guest is an actual friend of mine I've known for quite a while, uh, Rich Bracken. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to talk to you and then also to be able to, to share our, our joined message of, of how we can all work together for more equality and justice. Yeah, you know, it's been a while since we chatted, which is weird. I know everybody's wicked busy, especially adjusting to the new new normal. Um, but it seems like it's been forever. I know it hasn't, but it just feels that way because we used to talk so often. I know you, I know you well, but my audience may or may not. So let's tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So currently I'm the Director of Business Development at Fredrickson and Byron Law Firm. Um, and then I also do quite a bit of keynote speaking around the country at different conferences. And um, I've been working with a lot of corporations specifically on emotional intelligence. And so that's kind of the snapshot of where I'm at now. I've been in the legal industry for a little over six years and before that, I come from a, a background of sales, marketing, um, and various industries, including retail, entertainment, uh, and healthcare as well. Wow. I didn't realize you were in all those industries. That's incredible. Yeah, um, it's, it, it is quite, quite a blend. It, it lends itself to a lot of similarities, but also a lot of, a lot of very polarizing differences. Yeah, we, I think it's great, though, because you probably represent a firm that represents those industries. So the fact that you've had business in all those industries is a good thing. Indeed. Yeah. So why do you love being the BD person in a law firm setting? I have been that. It has its challenges. I have a love-hate relationship with that position, not because of the position itself. But what are your thoughts and feelings? So I love it because to me, there's a lot of um, problem solving, a lot of psychology, um, a little bit of actually acting as if you're the point of sale person in a lot of situations, you know, I, I play a role in that as well. Um, but I think it's uncovering those opportunities and finding um, what I would call the Kevin Bacon factor that helps people understand who their prospects are, how they can nurture a relationship, maybe who knows who. So it's really uncovering those, those behind the scenes uh, connected dots of similarity or of networks and figuring out what is the best way to get in front of somebody. And then once you get in front of them, I'm, you know, I, I think my, my parents laughed when I called them when I, when I joined my first law firm, because they always wanted me to be the, either a, an attorney or a psychologist based off my background and my passions. And so I said, technically I'm working in a law firm in kind of a psychologist role. So, it, you know, two for one. Um, but really understanding what makes the client tick, what do they really want, how can you best serve them, what's the best way to communicate with them. So it's understanding the BD side of things, the client service side of things, but also you know, the emotional intelligence, psychology, relationship building aspects as well that I'm very, very passionate about. Yeah, I love that. So I, I really do enjoy the client side of it. So I, I think more law firms need to hire, not fire, hire us to just simply be the client representative, the face of the firm, the person who interviews the client, assesses the needs and, you know, finds, because I find there are very few lawyers who enjoy doing that or, and there are even fewer who are good at it, but that's because they're so great at what they do do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're genius at finding fault. They love to focus on the thing in front of them. That one thing, uh, especially litigators, they are, um, 
you know, pay to be right, afraid to be wrong, risk averse, know the answers before you ask the questions. And those things make them win in the courtroom, but lose in, you know, business development. So you're an amazing representative for whatever firm you work with as far as, you know, considering the voice of the client or what's important right. to the client. I know that you always keep that top of mind, which makes mm -hmm. you worth your salt and probably more. Mm -hmm. um, but let me ask you, uh, what do the lawyers think of you? Like, do, do they recognize the benefits you bring to the table? And if so, how do they benefit directly from your work? Um, I, I'm sure everybody has their own individual opinion of me based off of their, uh, based off their, uh, either their acclamation to somebody with bright colored socks and pocket squares or somebody who's maybe a little bit excitable about client data. Um, but, you know, I think on the whole, uh, what I've, what I've been seen as is the individual that really uncovers those opportunities and finds those ways to get more PR for, for an individual attorney or how to be best put them out in the marketplace how to do more external marketing, how to really get in front of the client. So I would say that is what I've, what I've come to be known for over the last several years and really finding creative ways to break through on a relationship. Um, okay. So I think that's, that's where it's primarily, I've, I've found a lot of value. I'm, I'm not gonna say that I've not influenced a few people style-wise because that's happened, but you know, it's, you know, that's just kind of an, an added perk to having me as a part of the team. I love that. So I am, um... Well, first of all, we speak the same language. So this is going to be a big love fest. Um, mm -hmm. But from a client's perspective, they really appreciate having someone who understands business, speaks mm -hmm. their language, asks meaningful questions, uh, understands that asking meaningful questions and gaining feedback are signs of respect, mm -hmm. not a show of insecurity or unknowing, you know? So I love that. Does your firm allow you to do... Um, client needs assessments and satisfaction surveys and feedback programs? You know, we, we've got a great program in place with that. And what I will say is that there is involvement uh, on my behalf in some of those conversations as well. Additionally, with some of our referral sources and then also some prospecting um, opportunities as well. So um, I would say yes. I, you know, I think it's something that is still, as we know, in the industry as a whole, you know, you mentioned it earlier, that it's still a growing trend. And it's not something that is a consistent staple. And, and I love what you said earlier that, you know, attorneys, and, I, and I, I speak on this when I speak about emotional intelligence too, is that attorneys statistically, and this is not me just ad hoc saying this, but the data and the, and the research backs it up. They're extremely skeptic. They're low resilience. And so when you think about those two alone, those don't bode well for client feedback, for sales. Those, those, two, those two factors alone really aren't all that fantastic when you look at those two different scenarios of, of engaging clients on feedback and then also um, going through a sales process. And so I think that value in of itself, when, when firms, you know, firms are wising up to this and understanding that there is a big opportunity to have a position where, you know, if attorneys are just not into doing that or don't want to have any part of it you can have somebody like myself or somebody that's you know built like me that can go out and have those conversations and nurture those relationships and bring clients in and then there's going to be a large group of attorneys within any firm that just wants to do the work which is great and honestly that helps both sides you know it doesn't put the attorneys in a situation where they have to go out and do something that they don't like to do or don't want to do or aren't good at doing for whatever reason um, and it also allows firms to maximize the talents of their, of their sales and marketing and BD people as well. 
So I think there's there's a growing trend there, and I think more and more we're going to see that, especially now that we're looking at more digital communications and virtual communications. I think that almost set back a lot of firms as far as their client engagement and their business development, because not only are you now asking them to go do business development, which is foreign, a lot of them, then there's also now this digital virtual component that a lot of them are unfamiliar with or not truly comfortable with. So it'll oh, be interesting to see how out. this unfolds. Yeah. <laughs> totally freaking out. Yeah. So um, honestly, I've been studying this for a thousand years and I haven't seen a lot of progress as far as attorneys adopting BD best practices for all the reasons you said earlier. Um, mm. You just can't change someone's personality. Never will. You can change your own communication style. I don't see it happening. They love to do what they love to do and they love doing what they're good at doing. And mm. that's why they went to law school to do it. Um, but there is the rare bird who likes to get out there and interview clients and you know, ask the right questions. And is that person that the client wants to work with? So, right. you know, clients want to work with someone they know, like, and trust and, you know, make yourself that person. Uh, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. You can't. Yeah, and I think, I think too, there's, there's another breed of attorney that I've seen succeed greatly. And, you know, what the, what the, what the preceding story is, is, is up in the air. But I think, those attorneys that have the relationships or that start working with a client and that are maybe more introverted, maybe aren't as salesy as I'm doing air quotes on a podcast. So that makes a lot of sense um, that are, once they get in that relationship and once they start working directly with the client, they're good in those one-on-one -on -one relationship nurturing kind of conversations. And that's great. I have a lot of attorneys that are and like, they're that, good that listeners. They right. Yeah. yeah. They're great listeners, great small group communicators. They're wonderful at that. They're just not really good on the front end salesy part of it and they'll be the first so to admit you say it as well. salesy i want to clarify um for me um i i teach relationship and consultative selling and trusted advisor status type selling mm -hmm. so it's not pushing products or service the kind of negotiations and things that i teach and i know you do too mm -hmm. are where both parties walk away feeling good about the exchange not somebody feeling icky or head Agreed. So just Agreed. Clear yeah. on that. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to clear the mental image of a car salesman approaching you with a big smile on their face when they see you walk on the lot. That is definitely not what I'm talking about. But more the the true relationship build, um, business development flow of things. So make yeah. it about the client. It's always about the client. Agreed. Yeah. One hundred and fifty percent agreed. Yep. Well, let me ask you this. We could talk all day um, <laughs> uh, because and, and love the conversation and think that we have all the world's problems solved and we've created an entire new world order, but <laughs> let's not do that right now. Sure. Let's talk about perhaps um, something maybe that, you know, you want to clear the air or set the record straight. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's, you know, some people ask you things or say things and they misperceive like what you just now did with the word sales when you, right. when you spoke of, you know, that, that is controversial. Attorneys say, you know, I didn't go to law school to become a salesperson. Well, guess what? Everyone is a salesperson. It's what type of salesperson you choose to be. Agreed. Well, I don't care if you're a lawyer, doctor, or an engineer, if you're a you know, if you're in professional services, you are selling every time you open your mouth when you're trying to convince, influence, persuade, motivate. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about something you think you should set the record straight on. Sure. No, I, I think, I think that, that concept is one of them. I think the other one that I would love to set straight and, and I've, 
I've cracked through in a lot of conversations, but I think the more I talk about it and the more groups that bring me in to discuss it is the emotional intelligence side of things and what the true value of that is to anybody. Um, and again, it's, I love the topic because it's so universal, um, both personally and professionally. But I think the one thing that I often get questions on with this is this seems too fluffy or too touchy feely, too soft, too hallmarkish to really make a difference in my life and, and how I deal with my clients. And I say, you know, and I always smile when I hear those things because I get those questions quite a bit. You know, I'll, it's usually from the, it's usually from a litigator because they want to argue. Um, but typically what will happen is that they'll, they'll say, well, I, I don't understand how this is going to help me in the long run. I'm like, okay, what do you think I just did right now? And they, they kind of, tilt their head a little bit like, what do you mean? I said, well, I was just actively listening to you. Active listening is part of emotional intelligence. Can you tell me the last time that you talked with a client that you maybe didn't listen as intently as you should have? And they said, well, um, uh, and you can tell by their physical reaction or their verbal reaction that there is at least one instance, and I don't need details, and I, that's not the point of it. But what the point is, is that there are so many, and that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. There are so many different benefits to an attorney through emotional intelligence. But the number one is understanding and being compassionate to your client. So when your client calls, and I preach this all the time, when a client calls, they've gotten to the end of the rope of their legal knowledge because they're attorneys too. And so if they call you, they're vulnerable, they're anxious, they're nervous, they're maybe a little bit embarrassed. And even though they may not come off that way, maybe they're very... Um, strong-minded and strong-worded, but underneath all of that, there is anxiety and vulnerability. And so if you can come into a conversation, any conversation with a client, knowing that they need you, they need your help, and you need to work with them as a team to solve the problem, that client relationship goes through the roof. And so the active listening, the compassion that you can feel, and how that is developed through your emotional intelligence will pay dividends, endless dividends on your client relationships. You know, in my years of work with attorneys, I, you know, treat each one individually. I listen with mm -hmm. empathy and not judgment. And I try to understand the shoes he or she fills. Um, over the years, there have been, I guess you could call it research of doing, you know, working with lawyers for over 18 years. Um, there are patterns that I see that develop. For me personally, I can tell you some of the things that I see lack in that, like you call them soft skills. That's, I think, what we used to call them, and people would turn away from that. They don't respect that, but that mm -hmm. is what cements a relationship. That is right. what, you know, is engaging uh, it with transformational leadership skills. That's exactly what that means, whereas most lawyers traditionally would engage with hierarchical leadership skills. And one of those one of those elements that I always take note of um, beyond empathy or self regulation or motivation would be self awareness. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, what do you think? Do you think that lawyers are aware in general, aware of you know the importance of emotional intelligence that they do or do not bring to the table? Um, generally, you know, and I, I hate sweeping generalizations, but I would say right. on the whole. I would say that they're not as self-aware, nor do they have the self-management that they need to be successful with emotional intelligence. And the reason I say that is because of the, the legal conferences that I've spoken at, the webinars that I've provided on this topic. I get more positive feedback on the aha moment that they had 
Yes. And I, and I think it goes back to, you know, and I heard one story from an attorney that I'll never forget that he said, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that you presented on this topic. What it made me realize is that I was actually emotionally, more emotionally intelligent before I went to law school. And then through my legal, my legal career coming out of law school, I was really trained to be more analytical, which is obvious, um, more skeptical, more, more negative than positive. More, you know, I'm looking for faults. I'm looking for loopholes. I'm looking for problems. And he said, I've just gotten conditioned to, to turn off those emotions because I don't, I'm not paid to be emotional. I'm not paid to do these things. I'm like, yes, you are. You are, you're paid to pay attention. You're paid to actively listen. You're paid to take care of your clients. And when you start looking at it that way, and now that you have had this aha moment, your, your practice will boom because you're now different than the rest in a good way. And so I think it's that, it's that bulletproof mentality that attorneys have and doctors, you know, it's, it's funny because the, um, the research shows that actually physicians and doctors are the least emotionally intelligent, which is terrifying in a way, but lawyers are second worst. And so because they have this bulletproof, don't feel, you know, perfect mentality, which again, I'm not saying that in a, in a bad way, that's just the way that they're trained to be, obviously. But because they're that way, the idea of being emotionally vulnerable or understanding that feedback is a good thing those things are so hard for them because they're not, they don't want to hear that something wasn't done perfectly. And so I completely agree. I think that the ability to be self-aware has been shut off in law school. And I think if law schools can go back and, and incorporate something into the curriculum around self-care, emotional intelligence, business development as well, you know, those types of what, what most people have called soft skills over the last, you know, six years that I've been in the legal industry, I call them essential skills. Because you can have legal knowledge as much as you want. Those things are, you know, rules are going to change. Laws are going to change. Cases are going to come out that are going to change the, the, the course of, of decisions for years. But if you can understand your own self-awareness and your own self-management and your relationship management, that's never going to change. You, you're, you're, you become more agile as a communicator and a better attorney and a better person and a better client service individual because of those factors. That is all true. And as I prefaced at the beginning of the show, uh, listeners will recognize that Rich and I share a lot of the same. <laughs> so this will not be a sparring, you know, there's not going to be much. Um, well, I disagree here, Rich, because right. we, we do share a lot of the same uh, philosophy and best practices in business. And look, I work with a lot of general counsels. I work with a lot of defense firms. I work with a lot of people who are not in legal at all, but they're mostly professional services. And I think the same can be said. You said that um, doctors are the least emotionally uh, intelligent or have the lowest EQ uh, mm -hmm. across the board. I, I have a niece who is the executive director at the medical school at the University of um, California, San Diego, of their emotional uh, quotient. There's a department all about EQ, all about mm -hmm. EQ. And they work with doctors specifically on that. I mean, it's a, it's been tons of research done. I think you're probably quoting some of the research they put out, but mm -hmm. they're working on that. And then secondly, I know from my work in communications and my background in communications and theory, communications theory, that I've studied a lot of 
you know, the EQ in your communication style, how you present yourself, how you present yourself to yourself, like what you mm -hmm. think you, what you think you sound and look like, how you mm -hmm. think you're communicating and how you're really communicating, like right. how you're coming across. And lawyers come out second worst in that as well. CPAs being number one, um, right. least able to communicate with that um, element of listening more than you talk and learn. You know, when you, when you ask questions, which is my big deal, I teach a lot about the power of questions. When you mm -hmm. ask questions, you give yourself an opportunity to learn something new and you give the other person an opportunity to trust you. Right. When you right. talk the whole time, however, you learn nothing new and they right. may or may not know what you're saying already. You haven't taken the time to assess whether they do or don't and whether they'll appreciate it or if it's their language. Yeah. So, what's, what's the old saying that, that that's why God gave you one mouth and two ears? <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that in a while, but that's, that's true. You're, right. that's exactly what I'm saying. So, and there's, and there's a huge difference between, you know, to kind of go back to setting the record straight, there's a huge difference between not being emotionally intelligent and not caring. Like, oh, cause yeah. I mean, having, having worked in medical sales and having worked in healthcare IT, Doctors and nurses are some of the most caring, compassionate people in the entire world, but their job demands them to make split second decisions, right. to make very hard, you know, tough choices. So same thing with attorneys. And so I, while, while I will say that, you know, with no reservations whatsoever, while I say that doctors and nurses aren't some of the most caring people that I've ever met in my entire life, the emotional intelligence is actually within the work product that they do. So they're still caring. It's just that when they're they communicate, when they listen language. or don't listen, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a totally different ballgame. Well, let me ask you, let's, let's focus on attorneys again. You give them a, a wide berth, I can tell, I guess, because you work for them, pay your check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in that world anymore. I'm going to be totally honest, open, honest, and direct. I'm married to a litigator, so I live this stuff. But <laughs> what do they actually, now, again, we don't believe in sweeping generalizations. We base our information on studies that have been done, valid and reliable studies that have been done. But let's ask this question. What do attorneys usually do after receiving your challenging feedback? Or they, can you give us an example of one or two cases where it's been good or bad? Sure. You know, and I think, um, you know, I've, I've had a couple of bad ones where, you know, I think it's, it's a situation where, you know, as, as we can all agree, there are going to be certain people, attorneys or not, that are just not going to listen to what you say. I don't care how many facts you throw at them, what kind of studies you throw at them, they're going to look at themselves as the anomaly, which that's fine. And you're not going to change everybody's mind. And I, I get that. Um, but I think on the good side of things, the one thing that I've seen the most is understanding that it's not about them, that in a service industry and in, in life too, you know, I, I go with, I'm a big fan of servant leadership, the servant leadership mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I carry that through my, my, my family life, my friend, you know, my friendships, my personal, my professional life, I, I carry it through. And the one thing that I see the biggest change is that idea of opening up trust more, yeah. opening up more understanding and then it's not about them and, and, and seeing the value in it. And again, you know, you're, you're teaching these things or I'm teaching these things to, to very skeptical individuals. So I always tell them like, you don't have to take my word for it. Just give it a shot and see what happens. And it I me rich though, because most of the research, most of the research shows uh, what the GC wants, what the person mm -hmm. who's hiring them wants, how they want to be communicated with. And lawyers say, um, 
what you just said. Oh, it's like, how can you say that's not the best practice or the way when that particular client who hires you and pays you has asked for you to treat him or her or speak to him or her or do this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other way um, specifically. So that's what always irked me when, I mean, I wasn't often irked, but there's that one attorney's like, do it my way because I said so. And I'm like, I don't even raise my child that way. That's not reasonable. Um, right. So yeah, you always get that guy or gal, but um, I think- But, for but the I most, think those, those, that, those that focus on it though, those that give into it and focus on it, be, become the ones because I've also come have come to the mentality for those that I can't change their mind I'm not going to try to there are plenty of people that I work with and you know the very small percentage that are just resistant to any new ideas they, they're kind of over on on the side and what I call them are the ones that are going to you know the, the soon to be influenced and what I mean by that is that I love attorneys that attorneys are competitive by nature as most people are but attorneys are competitive by nature. So if you take somebody who is a naysayer and you let them and you can you you give them all the information, you give them a fair shot at opportunity, and they say, Yeah, no, I don't buy this. I'm good the where I'm at. Okay, great. You go, you you know, you keep doing your thing, you go down your path, you do you, we're good. What I do focus on are the ones that are saying, Tell me more about this. How can I leverage this more? Give me examples, give me scripts, give me emails. What, what can I do to empower this more to at least test it? And when they start testing it, then they start seeing success. And when they start seeing success, other attorneys pay attention. And That's so- That's frame the message, test it. Tell them, test right. it. just test it. Right, and, and my grandfather, who was, who was one of my biggest influence, if not the biggest influence on my, on my personal and professional life, told me one time the best, the best thing to do is let it be their idea. Oh, yeah. So I go, back, I go back to those individuals that didn't want to have any part of it. That's, that's fine. But then if they start seeing one of their colleagues having success and they go to them and say, wow, I've noticed your, you know, your clients are, are ramping up and your book of business is ramping up. How are you doing that? Oh, I'm adding more emotional intelligence to my conversations. I'm doing better feedback interviews um, or doing them at all. Very and these are the things that I'm doing. And then it's, oh, that stuff works then, huh? And, I'm, yeah. you know, I, and I don't gloat. I don't need to do that. That's not my style. But then if that person goes back to me and says, hey, tell me more about the way that I can talk to my clients better. Great. That's fine. And I'm 100% I'm happy to help that person on the back end. That's completely fine by me. You know, you made an excellent point. All of that is great. And, you know, my ears are like, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, the song I sing. Uh, but you made a really excellent point in the beginning about you know when to move on from those who are not interested in learning new ways of being successful or in being successful, frankly, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Sure, you can continue down your path and you'll make your billable hour dollar, but eventually your clients will find an attorney who's willing to do the same, but listen to them as well and right. understand their needs and you know their business objectives, what they're trying to achieve in business, not just what their legal needs are. Mm -hmm. So from that, let's, let's learn a big lesson here. Um, I actually worked at a firm that thought it was, it was just one person's decision. I think it was a very bad and wrong decision um, that you should assign attorneys to work with the business development professional. And the metric by which they measured who gets picked was simply, oh, became a partner in the last 10 years. And I think that is, makes for 
in any research project, that would be considered unreliable and not valid um, mm -hmm. because you have to work with the willing for the reason you just said, you know, trying to reason with those who have no interest in being reasonable is like giving medicine to a dead man. So mm -hmm. it's a fruitless uh, and thankless assignment on both sides for me and the attorney who doesn't want to be there. Uh, so it sets everyone up for failure. So lesson learned out there for those of you who do what Rich does and what I used to do and what I um, still love doing or talking about doing um, is make sure you work with the willing. Do not just have some arbitrary measure. Oh, well, you know, this person was assigned to me because the first question you ask is, do you want to be here? You know, right. is this something you personally want to do? Does this mean anything to you? Do you feel this was put upon you or are you actively participating in this process? So, um, and, and, and for point. those on our side of the fence too, the one thing that I will say, and I learned this from experience is that I, you know, I'm a people pleaser by nature. And so where I struggled mightily when I first got into the legal industry, cause I came from a corporate background, a lot of things just made sense from a sales yeah. and business development standpoint. I took it personally if somebody didn't want to do business development stuff, if they didn't want to take my advice, if they didn't want to try these new strategies, I took it personally. And it really frustrated me because I was divided between the ones that wanted to do it and the ones that didn't want to do it. And I felt like I was putting more effort into the ones that didn't want to do it because I wanted to convince them because I wanted to, I liked that challenge. Um, but I also didn't want to feel bad that they weren't doing what I thought was a good idea. Cause then I was like, well, maybe my ideas aren't that good. That so, is the, the dentist children have rotten teeth right there. Right, right. You're, you know, right. like focus on the ones who want what you do, who appreciate mm -hmm. you. Uh, and being a people pleaser in the legal industry is a recipe for destruction. Oh, absolutely. So I'm glad yeah. you have, you know, grown out of that. I am a giver. I am a very big giver. And it has always served me well until I met my first taker. And then I was mm. like, what just happened? Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So look out for yourself, brother. I know that you do now and that you've grown mm -hmm. into, um, you know, one who can. Because if we don't protect ourselves first, we can't help others who want our help right. or need our help. Mm -hmm. so, um, right. Same thing with everything in life, right? Let me ask you this. Since sure. my focus is on equity in the workplace, uh -huh. how do you think we can help women achieve it? You know, I think, I think there are a couple of different things. One, um, I have for years prided myself on, you know, both in the legal industry and out of the legal industry, uh, as far as being an ally, like that is a badge of honor to me um, from, a, from a variety of standpoints. I just, I've always been of the mindset that we're all equal and those that don't see it that way, going back to the whole sweeping generalization stance are missing out in, in, Sweeping generalizations to me is the laziest form of ignorance. So well, you I'm sorry, you, you're not, I, I study the research. And so there's a ton of research that backs up what you just said. So you're fine there. You can right. say what you're about to say. <laughs> yeah. And so again, like I just think, I think the one thing that I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed is stepping up in my position. Again, I'm not a martyr by any means. I'm just somebody that wants to help and do what's right. And I think in that sense, and whether it's gender, whether it's diversity, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's, you know, ethnic diversity, whatever that winds up being, like, I want to have, a, I want to be a part of that conversation because I want to help because 
I think there are so many people that are not getting a fair shake because of sweeping generalizations and, and, and bias, whether conscious or unconscious. And the more I think we have these conversations and, and I think too, on, on, you know, on the, on the, on the women's side of thing, understanding that there are men. And again, I'm not saying that I'm doing this because like I can, I can do it better or, you know, you need a man's help to do this. No, what I'm saying is that is as colleagues, as friends, as individuals within a community that want a better society, that is where we all need to come together and have these conversations. So for, you know, by all means, like I, I think if we have more conversations like this, which I applaud the heck out of you for doing what you're doing, because I think the more, that women understand that there are men that want to help, that want to do what's right, that do talk with respect, that do look at equality, that do look at even playing fields. And that it's not, again, it's not a reverse sweeping generalization of, oh, just men, men want to oppress anybody, especially white men want to oppress anybody. Not the case. And I think by peeling back that sweeping generalization on both sides, we understand that our differences are where our values are. And I think, you know, I, I, one of my, another one of my favorite sayings is that everybody knows something that you don't. And so if you imagine taking a whole chunk of people because of your sweeping generalizations and saying, I don't want to learn anything from them because I don't see value in them. You've just robbed yourself of so many wonderful experiences, so much knowledge, so much opportunity that it's, it's, it's mind boggling. So again, I think it's just a matter of continuing the conversations and understanding that the more we raise our hands and say, this isn't right and I want to do something about it, the more we can come together and have better conversations and that the right people can get into leadership positions and, and dismiss those that have been, have been historical bad actors. Yeah. So I use that example of, um, well, it's not an example. It's, it's a truth, a truism. If you as a woman feel that it's not okay that men are 60% and women are 40% X, Y, Z, why then are you fighting to become the 60% and have men be the 40%? You've just determined that that's not right and that's not equity. So let's not become the enemy if in that example. So that's why I always feel like we should have men and women and um, those who don't identify as either at the table to have a voice and be curious about the other, whatever the other might be. Right. Um, so I agree. And that is precisely why I have men on my show, which is called Wonder Women in Business, but I have allies in our fight for equity. Well, right. let me ask you, um, I have a wild card question that I ask. Bring it on. I love it. Yeah. So what is something you've never done, but you'd like to try? Wow. That's a great question. Um, Something I've never done, but I would like to try. Um, being a lead singer of a band. <laughs> I love it. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I, I've, I've been in a band. Uh, I played bass in a band back right out of college, uh, but I was never a lead singer. I, I, I am known by my friends as that person that, like I sing in the car, I sing in the house. I'm like, I'm singing all the time. Music is such a big part of my life. Um, <laughs> So my dream one day <laughs> is to stand on a stage with that microphone and however my voice sounds, I don't care. Yeah. I want to, I want to move a crowd. And I think karaoke is the, the closest thing I've ever come to that. But, but singing and singing, singing for a band would be my, my ultimate dream that I would love to try. How fun. And you do have that boy band look, I'll say. Um, you know, if, if, 
Well, and, and, and let's be honest, the boy bands that were deemed boy bands are not so boyish anymore. So I will, I will take that as a, as a compliment because some of them are still pretty good looking guys. So it's meant uh, as a compliment and we will put, look, we will put pictures of you in the blog that I write <laughs> and people will see what I mean by you have that boy band look. One last question. Well, two sure. actually, I want to know how you spend your free time. Uh, I spend my free time with my family. Um, I've got a, a wonderful wife and two sons that are just the joys of my life. And and God help us that they're not they're apples that didn't fall too far from the tree. Um, but they are the funniest kids that I've ever known. No disrespect to your kids if you're listening and you have kids, but my kids are just they're awesome. Um, so I love wow. spending free time with them. I love you know I I, I think you know my my weight loss story. So I think staying in shape is a big part of my life. Um, but again, like music is a huge, huge part of my life, both creating, listening, appreciating, and, and, and singing. It's until my, until my day comes, until that band calls, I'm going to keep singing and practicing. <laughs> well, maybe this will be the podcast interview this could, that makes you This sing. could be it. <laughs> You're going to get discovered. Um, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be that guy that gets discovered for a platinum selling band off of a, a legal uh, gender equity podcast. That's a story in <laughs> of itself. Like that's amazing. That is, that well, is storybook. I do have quite a following and it's very diverse and lots of those folks are, um, you know, curious the way we should all be curious. So you never know. You never know. Let me ask well, you if, one if we need to, question. If we need to record a, a little um, excerpt blooper, I can do some buble. I can do some buble here as my Hello. audition for, for your audition. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rich, you're joking, but I'm happy to put something in the box <laughs> if you want. I, I, I want you it. to continue growing your listener base. I don't want to scare the bejesus out of these people. So no, you know what's so beautiful about that is the courage to, and the grit and the grace to be who you are. That's the beauty in that. I don't care if you're, um, you know, Pulverati or, or whatever, whomever. I don't know if band members, but um, what's his name? The guy who was discovered on Instagram. Everybody loves to hate him. Bieber, Justin Bieber. I don't care. Oh, yeah. Justin yeah, Bieber. Bieber. <laughs> I think, I'm, I, think I'm, I would be on the back end of that Bieber spectrum. So let's, we'll just, we'll table that for another episode. All right. Well, listen, how can people connect with you, Rich? Um, you know, people can find me. I'm, I'm very busy on LinkedIn, as you well know. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I have my own website, richbracken.com that I've got a lot of my, I do a lot of television work and I have my own podcast there as well. Uh, richbracken.com. And then I'm also all over the place on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So you can find all those links on richbracken.com. Awesome. And I'll put that in the blog folks. So after we hang up, um, Rich is going to send me a bunch of great pictures, maybe some audio video of him you know, performing on stage in his parachute pants <laughs> with, his, with his mullet. And, <laughs> you know, I separately, I have those pictures. I have a picture with a mullet. I have a picture in parachute pants, not at the same time, but. <laughs> Dude, I am 53. I've seen it all. I'm sure you have a couple pictures that would not surprise me. Oh, brace yourself. I'll take that as a challenge, Susan. Okay. Challenge. Good, good, good. I love it. All right. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. Rich, thank you for being here. I hope everybody has a really great, safe day. I know that quarantine has been tough, but maybe our podcast will make it a little less tough.